If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Success Report. The Success Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come one. Six Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. Man, it's good to be awake with some coffee. <laughs> Morning, Joel. Yeah, man, we're, get, we're getting up early for the listeners today. Yeah, yeah, I kind of like it. Work. Yeah, I kind of like it. I know, I'm I, seeing, I like early mornings. I'm, I'm seeing the sunset and everything. It's peaceful. Sunrise, bro. Oh, sunrise, yeah. See, I'm still sleeping. <laughs> you got to get that coffee, man. I know, I know. Hopefully, I don't have my morning voice where I sound too deep. Um, yeah. So. I'm not even going to speculate as to how your voice gets a higher octave later in the day. Yeah, no, no. You know, I got a morning voice, so. But, yeah, um, welcome, listeners. And we are going to talk about a serious topic homelessness uh and you know i think like because it's summer you know you're you're seeing more homeless people um mm. than you do during the winter and so um, we'll be looking at the article uh called um myths uh debunking myths about homelessness. What uh, what drew you to this article? I think it's from, so is it the fredvictor.org? Yeah. The, um, so the I think you misspoke when you t- said the title, but it's Everyday Myths About Homelessness Debunked. Yes. Same, same idea, but just for the listener. Mm-hmm. We'll have it in the show notes page, of course. Um, but it was from April of 2019. Mm-hmm. I think I might have sent it to you or or shared it on my notorious social media. Yeah, I can't remember how it popped up, but uh what stuck out to me was that um yeah, you know, uh, you know, I see more uh, I'm seeing a lot of homeless people um uh, during the summer and yeah, I mean this article says over 200 this is like first line over 235,000 Canadians experience homelessness on a given night yes and and it now as a percentage of our population it's pretty low right we're, we're talking less than one percent but it's still significant mm-hmm. I think what what made me want want to suggest it as an ep as an episode is that well a couple months back um, I ran into an old friend of mine, a childhood friend of mine, who is now homeless. And that made this issue really personal for me. Uh, because sometimes, you know, well, you know, you you don't know the people, so you're you're not as invested or really, really you don't care because uh, you don't know the person. But when you know the person and they come from where you come from, and you see them homeless, it it really opens your eyes and makes you concerned about, yeah, how did you get here? 
Um, so, yeah, I saw my friend. He was on the side of the highway begging for change. And I'm coming home from work in my work clothes, in my car, going home to my wife, food on the table. And I pull up to the light and it was like seeing myself or my uh, part of me on the side of the highway because that could have you know in, in in my head i was thinking wow like you know we come from the same place so how are how are you on the other side of my window when i'm sitting in the car so anyways i pulled over jumped out the car and i was just like yo what the hell are you doing what are you doing you know and you know he was explaining you know his of course you know i hugged him and you know told him i missed him and you know, how to get into the situation. And he said, you know, well, you know, he, he has a record. Um, so it's been hard for him to get, get work and, and, and so forth. And, um, you know, so he's been in and out of jail and post-traumatic stress of being in jail. And, you know, so it, it was, you know, he's been, I could tell it wasn't, he wasn't all there. Um, like he, like how he used to be. It was a shadow of himself. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he you know, he, he would, he wasn't looking me in the eyes his shoulders were down. He was looking down at the ground, and you know, man, ugh, ugh, it was it wasn't a good feeling. Um, but it it really personalized homelessness for me, and I was just like, you know what, man, you know, I, I need to look into this and reevaluate the way you know we we view homelessness. So that was one that was one of the reasons that's that that got me into, or or wanting me to suggesting that we do this episode. Um, but before we, we jump in for the audience. I'll let you guys know that, okay, so the way we're going to approach this is we're going to talk about, we're going to define poverty, and then we're going to look at five of the eight myths um, about about homelessness, and then we'll end with um, our two cents um, and really looking at a solution. So it isn't so much, you know, we're trying to end on a high note, on a positive note, um, rather than just nullifying a person's argument, nullifying me meaning... Um, to discount the argument and not provide a solution, we're not going to do that. We're gonna, we're going to try our best to provide a solution. Yeah, and, and I think you know, at no point are we trying to discount any of the stuff in here. I think we just or per, or, or, or or people's experience. Yeah, I, I think it's really just want to engage the topics or the myths themselves because you know part of the the dilemma with with articles like this. I mean, there's a number of them. You know, there's one from uh, Vox. Uh, from 2015 called 11 myths about homelessness in america uh, i found so many like variations of the same title okay good good so um, how would you define well, um, so poverty before, before we jump in, i just want to say like with respect to like there's almost what i found is like a bit of a tone is like oh this is a myth but there's a little bit of lack of part of the reason it's a myth is because there's some truth there right so um without without getting before we define poverty just to to kind of cover like we're gonna there's eight myths in the article we're gonna go through three of them we don't cover okay one of them for example is and and it's not the reason why we're not covering is because we i'm assuming or part of our discussion is going to overlap on these anyways Mm -hmm. um and for example the, the number number two in the article well they're not numbered but the second one in the article is homeless homeless people are drug addicts and alcoholics that's the myth you know, the problem is to then say, okay, no homeless people are drug addicts and alcohol or alcoholics, right? Like, so this is where, you know, why I think it's a good conversation to engage because 
I, I, I know, I remember, I mean, I haven't done this in a long time. We went out, I, I actually went with you like a decade ago, bro. Um, <laughs> we were downtown Toronto just like, you know, ministering to people, just praying for people and stuff. And the guy I, I walked up on was, was literally, I, either he was on drugs, I'm pretty sure he was on drugs, or he was like the morning after, you know, hungover. And I mean, he straight up told me he was, the reason he's on the streets is because he's a drug addict. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, when I see the headline, I'm like, okay, you know, are we, are we disregarding some truth? Right. So, so my point is to simply say that the, the, re- the reason why it's good for us to engage this topic is to, to kind of engage both sides. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some, my, my concern with some of the research we've done is when you see, you know, studies and, and things like that, there's just such a, like, an objective of obtaining government funds mm-hmm. with, you know, policy and, and different things that's like, are we losing the nuance to this discussion? Because mm-hmm. we're so focused on demonstrating it in such a light that government officials have no choice but to do something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, so how would you define um, poverty? As the accountant in the equation, um, you know, my, my mind instantly goes to, um, the dollars. Um, and so, uh, I, I found a table and and I'm just going to give this for reference. Um, there's a table that says for 2017, the after tax income, um, by household size, um, the table, I'll put the table in the the show notes page. Uh, the table heading is low income measure thresholds by income source and household size Um, and it shows 2013 through 2017 so just essentially inflation adjusted Um, but for so i'll just read the it goes all the way to 10 person families what's the income size Um, but i'll just read the first four because i think that's probably the the relevant to the 90 percent of listeners Mm -hmm. Um, you know in terms of comparing to what they they do Mm -hmm. or or in their own income levels um, so one person would be if you make under $23,000 a year, two people, $33,000 a year, three people, $40,000 a year, and four-person household. So two parents, one, two kids, um, $47,000 a year. But, I mean, that's purely the, the quantitative perspective, um, and I think it's a good starting point, um, but it's it's not everything. Um, because, you know, use the example of a four-person family. Well, what if it's two parents, one kid, and a grandma, you know, to, who's got crazy medical bills? Um, you know, that $47,000 figure doesn't really reflect the qualitative scenario they're engaging with when the medical, you know, for example, if they're going through chemo, you know, the drugs alone might cost out-of-pocket if they don't have insurance to cover it, like $16,000. And we're talking in Canada in our socialized medicine scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certain drugs don't qualify for, for government assistance. Um, so that I, I just thought, you know, the, the dollars do have a starting point, but there's qualitative, and I'm assuming your definitions of poverty may be a little less numerically oriented. Uh, yeah, so I've been reading through the book when helping hurts how to alleviate poverty without hurting the poor and yourself by steve corbett corbett and brian fickert and so 
the approach. Well, I, first of all, I got the book from uh, the Fraser Institute, uh, Economics for Journalists, I believe, and and basically, the the premise of the book is um, that we embrace our mutual brokenness. Our work with low income people is likely to do more, far more harm than good. So basically, it's saying that. Um, Poverty is defined relationally, and that. So, for example, um, it's taking a biblical approach, and that because of the fall of man, we see that the re- the relationship between um, now there's four relationships for a human being. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put um, a screenshot of this graph, in in the book, and basically, starting healing yeah, Twitter for that. Yeah, yeah, um, yes. Yeah, um, so it's looking at the healing holistically from starting from from an individual perspective. So we're healing our relationship with ourself, relationship with God, with others, and creation. So that's four relationships that are marred or hit, um, yeah, marred or, or destroyed because of sin. So everybody's situation is different. And people's needs are different, so you have to be nuanced in the way you treat people's poverty, because not everybody's poverty is the same. Going away from a, a materialistic perspective, and 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 taking it from more of a holistic approach. So, so it should be interesting in looking at how these things are applied practically as we go through the show. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you know, I just thinking of an example where you know, again, the nuance, right? So. So the the reality or or the majority of like this article has a bent and and not just this article but in general the poverty discussion definitely seems to have a bent towards housing as a solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And yep. and but your example demonstrates or or sorry, an example that demonstrates what you just said is mm-hmm. You know, take a scenario where someone might have inherited a house from their deceased grandparent, mm-hmm. but they don't have the income level to main, to keep that house. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have an individual who doesn't need help in the form of housing. Right, right. But yeah. they're still impoverished because if they don't resolve their income problem, they're not going to be able to afford the upkeep of taxes and bills and they're going to lose that house. Mm-hmm. But if 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 our help for them as a community was to whether it's get them a jo- the right job, help them develop skills, you know, transition them out of this income problem. Um and 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 maybe the solution is they need to sell that house and buy a different house. But they're probably going to be so stressed from paying the bills to realize that that's the right solution. They're just going to be hanging on to the house until it's too late and they lose everything. Yeah, and I I think it's deep when we you know just the aspect of looking at poverty relationally and wealth relationally because it it, it makes sense. Like if you come from poor people, that doesn't mean you're going to be poor, but it, it can be a factor in you um you know living out you know generational poverty. And if you come from wealth. Um, that doesn't mean you'll end up wealthy, but it does have a factor in playing in the continuing of you, you know, living 
wealthy lifestyle or even just having wise friends, financially savvy friends that, you know, show you the ropes on how to uh, steward your your um, your income well. So it's just just something for the uh, listener to think about, like when we're thinking about like solutions. Yeah, yeah. Solution because like like a lot like. OK, well, anyways, when we get into the myths, these things will start to come out. So let's look at the first myth. Um let me see here. Okay, well, well, first, just I'm gonna read all the myths for the listener, and then we're gonna tell you the ones we're gonna focus on, just so you guys get a gist of the article. So just as as he's listening through, it's uh, two, three, and six are the ones we're gonna skip. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'll just read it quickly. Um, what they are. So myth one: that being homeless is a choice. Myth two: homeless people are drug addicts and alcoholics. Myth three. Um, homeless people are lazy and don't want to work. Myth four, homeless people are taking advantage of the system. Myth five, uh, most homeless people are single white males. Myth six, uh, homeless people can't take care of themselves, so they don't, so they shouldn't be allowed to have pets. Myth seven, homelessness will never happen to me. And myth eight, homelessness can't be solved. So the first one we'll look at, um, myth one, um, being homeless is a choice. And what do you say to that, Joel? Um, I, it's, it's such a broad statement that like, you know, if, if you think of it in the simplest idea of like someone was at one point living in their house and they just decided to walk out on the street and stop living in their house. Well, well, yeah, okay, definitely. Homelessness is not a choice. But where this, you know, again, I, I'm not trying to, again, critique it as much as engage the conversation. Homelessness can be a result of choices made by the individual. Okay. And I would say um, I, I have another friend who was homeless and got out of being homeless and he was saying that and, I'm, and and I spoke to him because like I didn't want to be insensitive on the way I spoke about these issues so I spoke to him and, and he verified for me he's like yo there are people who choose to be poor who choose to live homeless um, when he was going in and out of shelters and living on the streets he was just like yo there are, no, there are people like that but there are people who want to get out but there are people who want to um, who choose to be that way well, and, and this is where I would say, like, you know, the, the one we're going to skip about drug addiction, right? If someone's addicted to drugs, um, you know, there's a number of contributing factors. But if they're not looking to get, you know, kick their habit, there's a potential that I would say that in, to some extent they're choosing to be homeless, although... You know, maybe there's an aspect of they can't quit, um, and and I can, you know, mm -hmm. have a level of appreciation that addiction is not as simple as like, oh, tomorrow I decided I'm not going to be addicted, and therefore, you know, um, there there are you know there's effort, a lot of effort, and and a lot of struggle involved in in kicking you know, drug addict or drug habits or even a, you know gambling addictions, whatever it is, um, and so that's where I would say, you know. The, like the guy I was trying, I referenced before, the guy, he basically said the reason he's homeless is because he doesn't, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I mean, it was a long time ago, but it was like, I kind of got the sense that he, you know, he doesn't want to face his family. 
right? Like I think he had moved here from, you know, Nova Scotia or something. And so, you know, he didn't want to ask his family for help because it had to admit that he was in a place that they didn't want to see him in. And so as much as shame is a huge contributing factor in this scenario I'm describing, he didn't want to face the realities of his shame. And that was a, an aspect, that was a choice. Yeah. Oh. Right? Now, mm-hmm. it's, it's not as simple, you know, this article does demonstrate like, so the way that they describe it is, People do not choose to be homeless. There are many factors that contribute, such as, you know, loss of employment, family breakup, violence, mental illness, you know, different. So, again, these might be contributing factors. And, and they, you know, the way that they worded it that I thought was good, it's like they're saying usually it means all other options have failed. Right. Okay. And so in that sense, yeah, there's there's plenty of people who just like, you know, they're, they bought a house, then they lost their job, then, you know, they couldn't find work and they went bankrupt and, you know, they, they, their family lives in another country, you know, they, they lost touch with a whole bunch of people, they kind of became isolated at some, because of all the stress they were going under and, you know, this was just that all of a sudden they found themselves on the street. Okay, yeah, I think that's, that's probably a really good description for the majority of scenarios. Okay, so myth four... Homeless people are taking advantage of the system. Oh, I, I, I would say that this is probably true, in, in like almost universally. So this is one where I would, I would say I completely agree because the people who are taking advantage of the system generally are the ones who are pre- are presenting themselves as in need, but in actuality aren't. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would say. That, yeah, I, I don't think homeless people are taking advantage of the system. I, I, well, that's why, I, you know, I see them on the street and I always think to myself, I'm like, yo, don't I pay taxes for this? Why aren't, you know, why aren't you just in a shelter or why don't you just go on welfare? And then, you know, I was talking to my friend who was, again, the one who, uh, not the one who was, one of them who was homeless. And he was just saying, he's like, yeah, like, you know, you can't get welfare if you're in the shelter because, they basically say, okay, well, you have shelter, you have a bed, you have food. So therefore, you know, you don't really need welfare. So welfare usually goes to those people who have a home address or a bank account. So so you kind of have to find a way to finesse the system to get out of the system. Well, and yeah. I think this, you know, what you've just said gives a, a really good example where, um, you know, part of the predicament is the the system we develop for helping people has complicate or, or you know there's there's it creates incentives right so so what i mean it i mean you just described that like essentially for you to get welfare while living in a shelter without the uh, you know a home address a bank account is is difficult if not impossible um, yeah and sorry and i just want to add and you know what bothers me when I see women on the side of the highway or whatever on the street begging um, or homeless, um, it bothers me because um, how dangerous a situation it is mm. for women. And so that's why, you know, when I see women beg- begging, I'm like, yo, that's, yo, on the real, pardon? You have a more emotional response to a woman who's homeless than a man. Well, the reason why is because, yo, men are mucky. Men are mucky. 
And what I mean by that is, you know, it's easy to say, oh, for I, I can give you $5 or I can give you $100. It depends on what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, it, it, so it's one of those things where, you know, we have shelters for women. So that's why I'm always in my head. I'm like, yo, so why aren't you, you know, taking advantage of the system and, you know, go get yourself a house um, or, or some kind of government housing set up? Because it's not safe, I, you know, it's not safe for women to be on the street um, asking for money when you have, you know, you know, sex trafficking and all these things going on where, you know, it's it's easy for a man to come in. Um, Exploit. Yeah. Oh. Oh, oh so that's why in my head I'm, I'm just like, yo, man, you, that that's it's just it's dangerous. But anyways, um, well, and and you know, I would I would for the listener who knows me as very libertarian oriented and very like anti-government solutions, you know, I wanted to make a point of point here with respect to to prostitution, where you know, if you if you know my stance on most things, I might be more inclined to say, well, okay, why do we make it illegal? But what we just described and the use of the term exploitation would be something, you know, go back to the last episode where I'm talking about common law. You know, exploitation is where you're violating someone's property and that property being themselves. And so I, as much as it, you know, I might have more of an incline to say, okay, should we really be pushing prostitution into the black market? I do have a huge issue with the idea of a pimp or, or a man exploiting a woman via prostitution as opposed to, you know, the, and as opposed to just, oh, just, as opposed to a woman choosing on her own volition um, to, to engage in that type of activity. Um, and, and I only want to point that out just so that in case the, the listeners potentially kind of calling me hypocritical or, or something to that effect um, because of their, they, of understanding where I usually fall on issues. Mm-hmm. Um, with respect to illegal versus illegal. Okay. Um, okay, that's good. Myth five: uh, most homeless people are single white males. So I mean, I when you know when I read that, I was like, I've I don't know about the the white part. <laughs> and and uh, the only reason I say that is to say like, I would have expected the ethnicity to reflect income dispersion so um if we just use poverty as a or or sorry our yeah use poverty i guess if you use poverty as a proxy for the likeliness of being homeless um the percentage of white people that are in poverty if that's 20%, 20%, well, then I would expect 20% of homeless to be white. If if it's, you know, if the population of, the if the country's population is 50% white people, and pov- then that's where I think, you know, the, 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 the myths gets misunderstood is because people, you know, I, and we talked about something similar in a previous episode where I was like, you know, there's a lack of like multiplying the factors through. And I think where where it came up was actually on the last episode when we were talking about, you know, the likelihood of um, a bad outcome in the court system based on income and recognizing that the contributing factor is your income level, you know. And so it's it's the fact that here the driving factor is, you know, 
wealth just uh you know um kind of the the standard deviations and and you know statistical perspective is kind of what i'm thinking of in my head um i'm trying to think of the best way to describe it for the listener but the idea is you know if you were to look at all the people who are impoverished or or you know using that income threshold that i gave you know if the if white people make up 20 percent if black people make up 50 percent if or five percent whatever it is right like that's what i would think is the better approximation um I don't know why white males would would or white would you know the the white ethnic group would qualify as being part of the majority, um, but I would think single males would have a higher likelihood. And I think what you spoke to with regards to women is a contributing factor because you you I think you're you're demonstrating what the population as a whole feels is like women have a higher risk and therefore we need to prioritize helping them first. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I used to, th- well, I used to think it was mostly white single males, um, that were homeless cause that's all I saw. Um, so, okay. Myth seven. I mean, it was the white guys trying to scrub your window with their newspaper back when that was allowed. Heck yeah. It was always white people. I'm just like, man, I thought y'all were rich, but you know, you know, everybody has their so situation. So- you know, just for the listener, because they don't have the article in front of them before we jump to the next one. Um, it turns out, um, what was it? Something you, you read, it, you told me the statistic. I don't see it in the article here, but you had said that um, women make up 27%. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh, yeah. Right. So, which means the male aspect of this myth is true. Yes. Yeah. Right, so seventy five almost seventy three or no, so so it goes um, is men. Yeah, so it is true that men between the ages of twenty five and fifty five account for almost half of the homeless population in mm. Canada. However, oh, women sorry, make so up twenty. Yeah, so however, women make up twenty seven point three percent, and then youth aged thirteen to twenty four make up twenty percent, and seniors aged sixty five and older make up four percent. And then, in addition, Indigenous peoples, including First Nations, Métis, and the Inuit peoples, are um, overrepresented among the homeless. Yeah. So, so you know, take out. It almost seems like they, they you know, the statistics take out ethnicity, um, mm-hmm. which is, which is, I think, a really important thing. Yeah. To but yeah, we don't. But we don't. We don't track that kind of stuff here in Canada, which we hopefully we will start doing. Well, and I would, I would say. To some extent, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And in that, homelessness matters. I don't care what population group you're from, you know, or ethnic group you're from. Mm-hmm. Well, um, well, well, I, well, I, I do. I, personally, I do. <laughs> like, well, okay, so, I, I mean, I, I, don't la- I don't like seeing black people on the street. It's just not, you know, it doesn't, well, uh, it and, doesn't and ride with me. <laughs> is, is that, so, I mean, it's, it raises a good question of like, and this goes back to your story where, you know, when did you feel the most burden for the, the guy who's begging for money mm-hmm. when you knew him, mm-hmm. right? Like the reason why homelessness became relevant to you is because you're like, I know that guy. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't, I don't know how he got there. Like he shouldn't be there. Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, so much of our 
society has become impersonal, mm-hmm. right? Like, why do you only, you know, wh- uh, not you, the listener, why, why do we only give money to like maybe 5% of the homeless people we see? Yeah, only, only, only you're getting, you're getting to the, um, to the dessert. Okay. We saw settle, settle down. Okay. Well, well I'm we teasing that for later. So we'll, yeah. we'll get into so that. So a second. miss seven homelessness <laughs> will never happen to me. Yes or no? I think um, that there's a gr- there there are certain factors that will make this true. So, depends on how you define homelessness. If you define homelessness as living on the streets with nowhere to live, then then I think that's too. Then, then this statement isn't likely to be true for everybody. Okay. And I would say that I would never be homeless. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Okay. No, right? there's, yeah. there's a number of people who are going to say that. Yeah. Well, yes. Um, and the reason why I say that is because uh, me, Darna, Mark, Samuels, my family makeup, my situation um, is, you know, I have a lot of fi- family support. Uh, whether it's my mom's side or my dad's side or my cousins or my sister. Or your um, church. You know, oh, yeah, my church, uh, my grandparents, but mostly everybody in my family um, is well-to-do, and I and I come from privilege. I know people are like, oh, wait, but you black. I'm like, no, and I come from privilege. Like, I really do. Um, mostly everybody in my family is doing well, and if I were to fall flat on my face, um, they would be able to pick me up. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm blessed in that way, but I would also add that you know there are people who are not blessed, like me, who don't have family that they can rely on when times get tough. Um, I remember when I was in the hospital, and this rang true when I was in the hospital, and I was sick. Remember when I was sick for a long period of time, and um, so everybody was coming to visit me in the hospital, and the guy next to me. Nobody came to visit him because he had no family. Like, like he had the nurse, um, was the only person. You know, he, you know, he had to, you know, call out for a nurse to come bring him a sandwich. Meanwhile, my wife, you know, she's sleeping in the chair next to me. She's going home, making me um, meals. meals, bringing it here, changing my bed sheets, bathing me, um, and like my the list of people who wanted to come visit me. I mean, I felt like Mike Tyson when he was locked up. Like everybody was coming to see me and it was almost like, you know, like my wife had to start scheduling. Like I had a schedule um, because people were coming to see me and every time people came to see me, I had to, I had to close the curtain with the guy on the other side and he had to hear all the people coming to say, yo, what up, D, da, 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 making noise. And then it just really, just really dawned on me. I was like, wow, like I'm blessed to have, to have uh, relational wealth that I do and not everybody has that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and that's really where I was was going to, because like, I know I have friends, family, you know that, you know they end up living back in mom and dad's basement when they're in a place of need, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know that's where I think that you know those scenarios work when when the financial stress or the lack of income is not due to p- 
poor choices that are ongoing. Mm-hmm. So I think of whether it's drug addiction or gambling addiction, you know, people are willing to help within your community when you essentially have taken ownership for the the situation. Mm-hmm. Or and the reason why I use the term taking ownership is because, you know, if you messed up with respect to, let's say, a gambling problem, if you owned that, that that was your problem, and as a result, you have nothing and you need help getting back on your feet, people are you know, your, your community, whether that's family, friends, people around you are willing to help you. But if you have a gambling problem that you're not resolving, the, you know, I think of, remember the show, um, where they used to like intervention. I don't remember if it was called intervention or what, but there was like, I remember it was like on one of those like reality TV Mm -hmm. shows where they would always intervene with the, usually it was a drug addict, but, or Mm -hmm. an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. The idea was, oh, I always remember the ta- concept of like enabling that always came up because the people who had to stage the intervention first had to recognize how they were enabling this person. Mm-hmm. And so at some point, if you're helping someone who's not addressing the cause of their problems, whether it be any sort of addiction and they're not, you know, they're not fighting through it you're you're potentially enabling them yeah yeah no 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 you're right you're right so i what i'm trying to get at is if you don't have that scenario where where you're you know being people around you are concerned about enabling your problems um people are willing to help you you know that 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 you have community with Mm -hmm. um now granted there's plenty of people who live in isolation yes and so those are the people that i think um, this this statement or this myth is reigning true or, yeah. or does, you know, where people are like, oh, it couldn't happen to me. Yeah. It's like, man, if you lose your job, if, you know, all of a sudden the industry that you worked in for 20 years becomes obsolete mm-hmm. and you did not see it coming and you don't have a support system around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this could be you. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, the last myth is homelessness can't be solved so um the fred victor um so so fred victor which is um the the charity um that we got this article from they're proposing that they can solve homelessness and the way they do that or the way they're proposing to do that is through um a housing Sorry, first just to be clear chronic homelessness is the what? like the this myth starts with um, the ter- so the the myth is homelessness can't be solved. The first line is fact. The Toronto Alliance to End Homelessness have a plan to end chronic homelessness by 2025. So the idea being, people who are on the streets, reg you know for a long period of time, is what they're you know there's the idea because part of it is that. And, and I'll let you get back to what you were saying. I just wanted to point out the fact that, you know, you're st- there's always going to be a scenario where potentially somebody's, you know, their circumstance just catches up to them. And all of a sudden, you know, for whether it's even a week, you know, no matter what we do, you're still going to end up with scenarios where potentially someone's sleeping on the streets for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Because whether it's pride that they got to put the tail between their legs and go to their friend and ask for help. Um, 
you know, whether it's the drug scenario where someone has to face the realities of your people stopped enabling you and, and it might take you getting on the street to then go, okay, I need to go to rehab or I need, you know, so, so that's where I think it's good to differentiate that idea of chronic homelessness as opposed to no one will ever be on the streets again. I think that's a, if if we have that expectation, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's going to be ignorant because there's always, there's always a scenario that can unfold no matter how good the support systems, no matter how good the resources um, or, or uh, services we have available to people, there's always a potential for, for stuff to just fall through the cracks. Um, you know, we live in a broken world um, and, and consequently, I think it's too utopian to think that bad things will never happen to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so sorry, the, go back to, yeah. So the plan, their plan relies on the coordinated efforts of people and agencies across the city, as well as the creation of deeply affordable uh, housing units as affordability is the most significant challenge for people who want to move out of the shelter system. Um, and I guess this lays out um, the part of the discussion where we're giving our two cents and and a solution um, to this because you know providing affordable housing um, well personally I don't think is a good solution and I think it's just a band-aid solution um, and a political one um, but I'll let you go um, and expound on the way you see this solution and 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 your solution to the problem. Well, I think I think you have a good point, and and we kind of touched on this. Um, previous at the very beginning, when when we were talking about the idea that like housing isn't going to be the solution for everybody, right? I get, I laid out the scenario where someone has not enough income to uphold the house they inherited, um, and that person, really, you kind of almost laid it out, needs help with financial decision making you know they might need help making that tough decision that yeah you know what you need to sell this house and buy another house that you can afford to keep right your income level dictates you can only afford a house that has upkeep of five thousand or ten thousand dollars a year but this one has twenty thousand dollars because property taxes are ten alone right so that's a scenario and, and i know i'm you know laying out maybe a unlikely hypothetical but the idea is that you know, government policy works great for dealing with mass quantity. It doesn't work at all with the nuance. Like, it's an absolute failure when it comes to nuance. Um, you know, we, I don't know, you know, you're, you, uh, you, you talk about you being in the hospital. Um, you know, my familiarity with your situation the government solution or our government healthcare helped you through the trying time of your mm-hmm. medical ordeal, but it really didn't help you resolve it. Right? Like it didn't help you address the cause and it helped you address moving forward. You essentially had to go outside of the medical model to, to resolve the um, causes of mm-hmm. your problem. Mm-hmm. Would would you is that not yeah, no, no 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 I agree I agree okay, um, but when you needed to be laid up in the hospital because your body was literally not working, yeah you know so running IV through you just 
essentially, I don't want to say keeping you alive, but sustaining you in a way. Um, yeah, the medical, the current medical model worked. So, so there's an aspect where, you know, the government solution does help, but it doesn't help everybody. And it doesn't, it, you know, this, I think, you know, this is the idea of like central planning as a, a in general, because we just try to create policies to avoid, you know, we talked about it earlier, exploitation from people who don't qualify because government programs are so big and so, so administratively, um, such an administrative burden that they need to design it in such a way that, that the administration doesn't have to focus on fraud. The administration just focuses on pretty much if people can meet these standards for qualification, there's almost no chance of fraud. Now, obviously, people can do certain things to, to try to manipulate it, and some people are going to fall through. But the idea is to minimize those who can exploit the system. Um, as opposed to, you know, this is where the question of, like, private charity, you know, having a better ability to deal with nuance. Um, so, I mean... There's so many more, you know, so many aspects of this that I want to talk to. One is, you know, the welfare cliff. The other is, you know, private versus public solutions. Um, you know, there's a great article that I want to summarize in a bit. It's called What If Charity Replaced Taxation? Um, you know, there's a, a, a Learn Liberty article on the welfare cliff. So the title is The Welfare Cliff and Why Many Low-Income Workers Will Never Overcome Poverty. Um the other, the other article that I think, again, just I'm not trying to s simply be like, oh, complete contradiction and their ideas are dumb, but to sh demonstrate there's so much nuance with this issue. Um, the last one that, that I have here is uh, uh, LA Times headline is, um, or the LA Times article addresses trying to rezone Skid Row in LA. And for those who aren't familiar skid row is like i mean some people refer to like tent city um, and that has to do with the massive amount of homeless people that live in skid row like massive so they want to rezone it for um, low-income housing and the headline for this la times article is protesters target la over skid row plan we will and the quotation is we will not be gentrified um so you know, this, this demonstrates that sounds like the people that live in Skid Row don't want this low-income housing project to come in. Um, and one of the articles I was reading was saying that the housing is going to provide, uh, it's going to work for people who make between ten dollars and $40,000. So, I mean, the question is, well, what about the person who makes zero? Thank you for listening to The Sixth Sense Report. Look out for the follow-up episode, Solutions to Miss About the Homeless, on all major podcast outlets. And remember, six cents makes change. But you heard me? Does that make sense?